0: Hey, this is Harrison. I'm the pastor of Kingdom Church. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. We hope it inspires you and encourages you. Enjoy. Uh, We're so excited you guys could be here this morning. Uh, We're beginning a brand new series called The Problem of God, the problem of God. Uh, And so we just want you to know, no matter where you fall on the spectrum, if you consider yourself an atheist, if you consider yourself a Christian, if you consider yourself a skeptic, if you're like, I'm not really sure where I fall on the spectrum, uh, I just want to say this series is for you. Uh, This series is for you. No matter where you fall, uh, I believe that... uh, God is going to speak to us, and uh, so I want to just begin by saying this. Uh, My goal as we we start this series, as we go through the next number of weeks, uh, my goal is not to change anyone's mind in this room. My goal is not to change your mind. Uh, I heard it said this week that if you're able to change someone's mind through your words, all it's going to take is someone who can tell words better than you can to change their mind again. Uh, And plus, I believe this, I believe that God doesn't change minds, he changes hearts. And uh, if you guys know me, generally when I speak, I like to speak to the heart. Uh, But for this series, uh, it's going to be a little bit different because I'm going to be speaking uh, kind of uh, to to, to both, to the mind, to the heart, to the soul. And uh, it's interesting, if you're a Christian, you're here right now, uh, just so you guys know, over the next number of weeks, what we're doing uh, is we're going to be answering some of the hardest questions when it comes to Christianity. Some of the biggest problems for why people can't be Christians, like, can I really trust the Bible? How do I know if the Bible is accurate? Can I really trust a God when there is so much suffering, when there's so much pain, when there is death? How do I know that there's a God? So over the next number of weeks, we're going to be discussing some of these difficult issues. And my my hope is to provide some answers to some of the questions that we may may have uh, as Christians. So if you're a Christian, you're here right now, and you're saying, well, what does this really do for me? I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm going to believe no matter what happens. No one's going to change my mind. Nothing's going to change that I believe. Number one. I applaud your faith. Uh, But there's just a few things that I find faulty with that logic. Uh, Number one uh, is this. If anyone, if you are never skeptical in your life, meaning you never allow yourself to ask questions, I believe that you are actually closer to the brink of unbelief than you realize. And all it's going to take is one of two things in your life. Number one, tragedy. Tragedy has the ability to change someone's belief like that. Number two, uh, if someone comes along who is smarter than you and begins to ask probing questions that you don't have an answer to, that can begin to to cause doubts, to to stir something inside of you. And so we want to give you help in those two areas. And and the last thing is this, we want you, if you're a Christian, and understand this, I, I hope we have a whole spectrum of people, but if you're a Christian, I want to be able to give you at least some sort of answers to questions that you may have. Uh, because if we don't have answers, uh, we end up looking foolish. I'm, I'm a very uh, big hockey fan. Any hockey fans out there? And, uh, like, I'm, I'm the biggest. You can put your hand down, because you're not as big as me. And uh, <laughs> so what that means, though, is that uh, a lot of people, because they know I like hockey, they like to talk to me about hockey. And uh, one thing, being the fan that I am, I can tell very quickly if someone knows what they're talking about as opposed to if they have no idea what they're talking about. And uh, as a big hockey fan, when someone tries to talk to me about hockey, and they don't, know what they don't know what they're talking about, it, it kind of, I'm almost embarrassed for them. And it's just like, it's because like you're, just, you're making yourself seem unintelligent, because I'm, but I digress. But you see, for a lot of people, uh, a lot of Christians, Christians get this bad rap that they don't really know anything. They, they have no answers to hard questions. And so what we want to do in this series is provide you with some sort of answers to the questions that you may be having, because we don't want anyone to appear unintelligent. Uh, one of the biggest things that people think is that uh, Christianity doesn't, doesn't really think. We just use our emotions and our, and our hearts. But I want to read a verse in Matthew 22. Uh, this is what Jesus said. He's speaking to a group of people, and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your, what's that last word? Mind." Mind. So the type of love that God calls us to have for him is not just simply with our hearts and with our souls. How many of you guys know someone that has fallen in love with their heart and their soul? If they're in this room, don't look at them. Because what happens when you just fall in love with your heart and your soul but not necessarily your mind... It's disaster, and everyone around you is like, oh my gosh, why is that person in that relationship? But you can't really see it. It's because you don't use your mind. And I'm not looking at anyone, thinking about anyone, but you see, when God calls us to love him, God does not call us to love him with a type of love that is only strictly based on feelings. God calls us to love him threefold, heart, soul, and mind. And so if God has called us to love us us with our minds, I believe that he must have given us some sort of evidence, some sort of answers as to why we can love him and trust him with our minds as well. And so through this series, I told you I'm usually a heart preacher, but I really want to to, to engage your minds as well over the next number of weeks. And so uh, if you're a skeptic and you're here, we're so happy that you're here. And uh, if you're not a skeptic, we want you to bring three next week because we believe that God changes hearts. Uh, So let's begin part one. Uh, We are beginning with the problem of science. The problem of science. This is the first uh, in our series. And uh, one of the things that you guys probably know is that social media uh, technology has absolutely exploded. How many of you guys know that? In the last, like, 10 years, like, if you were to go back 15 years ago, even 20 years ago, 30 years ago, to tell someone that in the palm of their hands or in, in, the, in their pocket, they could literally hold all the information of the world. People probably wouldn't really believe you. Like, what? What is that witchcraft? It's the iPhone. But you see, with this rapid spread of technology, uh, it's it, it's been it's been really good. Like, I literally cannot imagine preparing sermons uh, without technology. And I'll say this, a lot of the stuff that we're, we're doing in this series, uh, it's not from my brain originally. I get it from, from research and from other people. And uh, even specifically, the, the whole problem of God is kind of based on a book by Mark Clark called The Problem of God. But for as great as this is, that we have this technology that, that we know more than ever before, that we have access to all this stuff, for as great as it is... There's also a downfall because with, with the, with being, when we are bombarded with more information than we know what to do with, we have a difficult time distinguishing between what is true and what is false because we have so much stuff coming at us. I'll illustrate it like this. My sister, uh, a lot of times she'll come to me and she'll say, I was reading this week. And uh, as soon as she, she says that, I begin to be a little bit skeptical. Why? Because I know the only thing she reads is Daily Mail, Snapchat. Some of you guys are like, same. What, where else do we get information from? And so as soon as she begins to tell these stories, I begin to sort of have a little bit of a skeptical uh, look in my eye because uh, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, but Daily Mail, Snapchat, Cosmo, wherever you guys are getting your life information from, it's not always 100% true. It's not always 100% accurate. And so whenever she begins uh, telling those stories, I'm always kind of like, you know, that stuff's not all real. And it's funny, I'm not getting down on, on Snapchat and whatnot, but if you, are, if you are someone that gets your information, you get everything that you know uh, from all those things, social media. We have a difficult time between distinguishing between what is true and what is false. And one of the biggest lies that I think we believe is the lie that says that science and religion are at odds with each other. Science and religion are at odds with each other. It's, this, it's almost this myth that we believe that science has been placed against Christianity and there, there are these two opposing forces going head to head. They're two different things. And so what happens and what a lot of people believe is that there is this dichotomy that exists. And what the dichotomy says is that science is about intellect. Science is about facts. Science is about tangible proof. Science is about what that which is real. Christianity, on the other hand, is anti-intellectual. This is what I call the Christian myth. Christianity is anti-intellectual, it's about evading evidence and trusting feelings over proof. And for a lot of people, that's what they believe. Oh, those Christians don't really know anything. They just go based on their emotions and, and based on their feelings, their heart and their soul, and so we have this dichotomy, which is just two things that are opposing each other. But what I want us to see today is that science and religion are not as far apart as we may seem as we may think. They do not actually work uh, opposed for each other. It is funny if you guys um, read or listen to any atheists, some of the big ones out there, Charles Darwin, uh, not, well, he's, an, he's a big one too, but uh, I meant to say uh, Richard Dawkins is what I meant to say, Richard Dawkins, uh, Sam, Sam Hitchinson, Christopher Hitchenson, forget them. I know Jesus's name. That's all that matters. I'm, little tongue-tied there. But if you read any of those things, a lot of them, they'll come across with this idea that religion is anti-intellectual. And they're probably like, you can't even say my names. Maybe we're right. (laughs) Good news is they probably will never listen to this message. (laughs) One day. But uh, it's funny. I was reading... uh, Now now their names are all mixed up in my head. Um, But I was reading uh, Dawkins this weekend. And one thing that he said, he said, religion is like mental illness. He said anyone that, that, that believes in religion, believes in Christianity, he equates it with mental illness, which is this anti-intellectual, really, stereotype and, and undertones of what he's saying. But what's interesting is that a lot of people take this as fact. And they say, you know what, if I believe in science, I can't believe in God. If I want to be be scientific, I can't be spiritual. If I want to be intellectual, I can't be spiritual. And so there's this dichotomy that exists. And so what I want to do this morning, the biggest part I want to do in this problem of science is I want to begin to put this myth to rest. I want to begin to put this myth to rest. It's funny, in Romans chapter 1, this is a book in the New Testament uh, written by a man named Paul. And Paul says this, he says, ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. So what Paul is saying here is essentially this. He's saying creation, everything that we see, the earth and the sky, science, chemistry, biology, microbiology, macrobiology, he says all of these things are there in order to point us to God. Science does not lead us away from God. It points us to God. In fact, what he's saying, he's saying because of creation, he's saying those beautiful sunsets that you see, those days when you you look up into the vast sky and you see the stars and you just see the grandness of the universe. He says all of those things are there to point us to God. And what he says is he says, as a result, we have no excuse for not knowing God. Creation reveals God. And so the biblical perspective is not that science is opposed to religion. Science is opposed to God. Science is actually there in order for us to see God. And that's what I want us uh, to see this morning. And so I want to begin to put this, just a few myths uh, to, to, to bed. Uh, one is this. Christians are anti-intellectual, right? Like, Christians, they don't want to learn. They don't want to, to know anything. How many guys are aware that, that university, how many guys are in university here this morning? a few people. How many guys are aware that university is a 12th century Christian invention? The church in the 12th century thought that that education, that that, that furthering education, that learning more was so important that they came up with this idea of university. After education, more education, learn more. Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Dartmouth, and Brown all started out as Christian institutions. If any of you guys are like me, you wanted to go to Harvard growing up. What program you wanted to take doesn't matter. I just want people to know I, went, I go to Harvard. I, I Actually, we went to Harvard just to visit, and I bought a Harvard sweater. And uh, I was at Costco wearing it yesterday, and this lady's like, you went to Harvard? And I was like, yeah. I was like, it was the best vacation of my life. That's <laughs> a true story. But these are, just, these are the most prestigious of the prestige, right? Like, people want to go there. These are Christian institutions. Christianity, Christian people started these things. And so this idea that that science is intellectual, that science doesn't want anything to do with God, is a myth. Let's keep it going. There was a study done in 2009 uh, by the American uh, Association for the Advancement of Science. This was a poll taken in 2009, a poll of scientists. And in this poll, the people that were polled, 51% believe in some sort of higher power. 31% believe believe in a personal God. Now, I, I, this, is, this is cool, but there's actually it's even more interesting when you dig into those stats. You see, the number of people that believed in a higher power was actually higher than 51%, and that number was higher for the people who were in hard sciences, such as biology, astro- astronomy, people that studied the universe, people that studied macro and microbiology. That number was higher for those who believed in a higher power. The reason this number got lower, down to 51%, was people in the social sciences, like evolutionary psychology, sociology. So their, 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 their reason for why they didn't believe in God was not so much based on science scientific stuff, but more so on social things, like evil and suffering, how, how people came to be the way that they are. And so if you, if you stick with us in the in series, don't worry, we're going to touch on, on those things as well. But the number of people in the hard sciences, the people that looked at the world, that looked at why our world is the way that they are, the majority of them believed in some sort of higher power, some sort of higher power. And and it's funny, I I don't want to skew facts or or fake news, as one great philosopher said. Um, (laughs) You guys know who I'm talking about. It's to say the majority, I'll say this, at least half of the people, some of the smartest people in America, believe in some sort of higher power. There was a, a man named Alan Sandage. Uh, he's one of the most influential, influential astronomers of the 20th century. Uh, he's responsible for uh, coming up with an accurate value for the Hubble constant. Uh, he was the first one to come up with a, uh, a reasonable uh, estimation for the age of the universe he's an absolute just one of the smartest men alive he died uh, a few years ago Uh, in 1984 in the midst of his study in the midst of his career uh, he converted to christianity and uh, he had this to say And if you guys are like what's the hubble constant i'm not smart enough to describe it so look it up tonight Uh, but it's very scientific (laughs) he says this he says it was my science that drove me to the conclusion that the world is much more complicated than can be explained by science. He was saying, The more I looked at things, the more I studied into things, the more I saw the vastness and the greatness of the universe, the more I understood. He's like, The less I understood, the more complicated it became. He says, It was my science. Look this guy up. If you guys think this is like a pastor or something, look him up. He says, It was my science that led me to believe that the world is much more complicated than can be explained by science. It is only through the supernatural that I can understand the mystery of existence. He's like, it's only when I say to myself there has to be something more than the universe actually begins to make sense. It can't make sense on its own. And so friends, here's what I wanna say, and this is kind of like the the bottom line of this first part that I want us to understand. Faith, fact-based science, is not perpetually at war with faith-based religion. Fact-based science is not perpetually at war with a faith-based religion. And so for as much as science and religion are pitted against each other, what I've seen as I research things is that science and religion are more closely connected than we often care to believe. And so as we kind of transition to the next part of this message, uh, I just want to speak for a second on people that if you believe that science is your only worldview... Science can be the only worldview through which I make decisions. Through the lens that I look, Uh, we had a babysitter this summer, and uh, my mom was driving her home one day. And uh, my mom, like a good kingdom builder, someone who loves this church, uh, she invited her to church to our launch. She was like, "Hey, you should you should come to our launch." Uh, She's a fourteen year old girl, and the girl responded, and she said, "Sorry, we believe in science." As for why she couldn't come. And when my mom relayed this story, I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, I was like, what does that mean to believe in science? But it actually, the way that she said it and the words that she said actually uh, to me, as I really thought about it and dug through it, it actually made sense. You see, for those of us who believe in God, we often use the term, I believe in God. Right? Have you guys ever said that before? Like, I believe in God. And the reason we say, I believe in God, as opposed to, like, God is real is because I think even as Christians, we have to to come to the conclusion, to the understanding that at best, at best, we don't know for certain if there actually is a God. We believe it, but we still hold room for the fact that maybe there isn't. So we say, I believe in God. And so when she said, I believe in science, what I think that she didn't realize she was saying it, but she was actually being more accurate. Because in the same way for religion, for Christianity, we can't explain everything, neither can science. And this is one of the myths, that science explains everything. Science answers every question. It leaves absolutely no room for doubt. But that's a myth, and we're going to see that in a second. And so when she says, I believe in science, she didn't mean it, but she was accurate because what she was acknowledging subconsciously is that there are certain parts about science that just simply can't be explained. There's still holes. You see, a lot of us have this belief that science covers everything. There's no holes. But... uh, there are some limitations of science. So for a second, I just want to look at a few limits of science. Uh, Number one, one of the biggest limits of science is this, and and in the weeks to come, we'll explain in deeper what this means. Uh, But physics is unable to explain metaphysics. Physics cannot explain metaphysics. If you're sitting there like, oh, my gosh, it's Bio 30 again, (laughs) Chem 30, Physics 30, this is the worst uh, I'll break it down for you real simple. Physics uh, refers to, to, to the, literally the laws of the universe, right? Like the law of thermodynamics is, is a part of physics. Uh, gravity is part of physics. And so what this is saying is physics, for as much as we know all these formulas, physics still cannot explain metaphysics. What is metaphysics? Metaphysics uh, is the abstract questions of why. It's questions of existence. It's questions of feelings. Why do I feel this way? Why do I wake up every morning hoping there was more? Why, why do I know that my life isn't where I want? And so physics and all of these laws still cannot explain metaphysics. They can't really answer that question of why. And so that's a limitation for science. Physics can't explain metaphysics. And so I'll say this, friends, no matter what your worldview is, maybe you're saying, I don't even believe in science. I don't believe in Christianity. I just believe in nothing. I don't have any beliefs. Here's the thing, friends, every single one of us, no matter what beliefs we have, no matter where we fall on the spectrum, we all believe something. Even a non-belief is a belief, logically speaking. A non-belief is still a belief. And so no matter where you fall on the spectrum, everyone believes something. And what I believe to be true is this, every single belief takes faith. No matter what you believe, it still takes faith. And, And here's the thing about faith. Faith is believing in something even though you can't see it. And so for a lot of people who are science or or they're just an atheist, their worldview is I I only follow the evidence. I only believe in that which is true. That's actually a faulty logic because every single one of us believes something even though we don't necessarily know for fact that it is true. Even a non-belief, like I said, is a belief. I'll illustrate it like this. Uh, I read a story this week. Uh, It was about a nurse. And uh, this nurse worked in a hospital and she herself was a believer. And uh, she was one of those out there, loud believers, free hugs maybe, uh, one of those types. And... uh, She loved Jesus, and so uh, the place where she worked, uh, a lot of the doctors in the place where she worked told her that the hospital uh, dealing with patients is absolutely no place for spirituality. It's no place for faith. All we can do here, this is a secular place, we use science, we use reason. And so the nurse just kind of relented, said okay. Uh, But she recalls a story there one night, Uh, she was in a room with a group of doctors, and these doctors were deciding whether or not to take someone off life support. And in this group of doctors, they were going around in circles, debating each, o- debating each other as to what they should do. Should they take them off life support? Should they keep them on life support? And uh, one of the doctors spoke up, and he said this. He said, you know what? Whatever happens, if we take them off life support, at least we know this. They won't be suffering anymore. To that, all the doctors in the room just kind of nodded their heads. But the nurse, as, as she left and she reflected what she said, she thought to herself, how do they know that? How do they know he's not suffering anymore? You see, the belief that after you die, you are not suffering is in itself a belief, but it's a metaphysical belief because you don't know for certain if that is true, if that's your worldview. And for a lot of people, even if they claim to not believe in God, most of them say, when you're dead, you're dead. But that in itself is a belief that has no proof. And so therefore it is a belief right and so we're starting to see some of the limits of science uh let's uh continue on Chris. can i get the slide about the universe um uh, this is this is a really big one so what we're saying is every single belief takes faith so let's talk, let's take the big bang for example this is a belief that is widely held by science right now that the world started with a big bang and i'm not here to argue against that uh But despite the fact that people know how or what happened, they still don't know why it happened or who was responsible for it. And so this is the odds of the universe coming into existence through a Big Bang. This is what science and scholars have come up with. They said the odds of the universe coming into existence is 1 in 10 to the power of 138. And now that number may not seem very big for you because you guys forget what to the power means. But I'll say this, put it in your calculator, you're going to get an error. You guys remember that? It's like, I'm trying to do math. 10 to the power of 138 is a ginormous number. That's 1 in 10, like, quadrillion, quadrillion, bajillion. Let's put it in context. Uh, next slide. It says, the number of seconds, and this is now assuming, like, the old age theory for the earth. The earth is trillions of years. The number of seconds in the history of the universe is 10 to the power of 17. The number of atoms, you guys know what an atom is? You guys are like, this is, I did not come to science class today. (laughs) The whole world is is made up of, of atoms, right? All matter is made up of atoms. It says all the atoms in the entire universe, their best guess is 10 to the power of 70. Just think of everything, all matter is made up of atoms. That 10 to the power of 70. So these are ginormous astronomical numbers. The odds of the earth coming into existence in just the way that it did in order to sustain life, in order that we can live and breathe here, is 1 in 10 to the power of 138. So what it's saying is those odds are extremely, 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 so you're saying there's a chance, extremely low. And so understand this. We can still believe that the Big Bang just happened. It was, it was a coincidence. But if you are to believe that, you, my friend, have a great deal of faith. You have a great deal of faith. Scientists, if they were to take these odds, what they would tell you is, that, is it is literally impossible. It's impossible. And so, friends, what I'm trying to tell us and show us is that all beliefs take faith. And so when it comes to the Big Bang, the Big Bang poses just a biggest challenge to Christians as it does to atheists. Because the Big Bang cannot answer the question of who, of why or who. Why or who caused this to happen. Stephen Jay Gould, uh, this guy is an atheist, he's, he's passed away now. Um, he was a world-renowned evolutionary biologist at Harvard University. And he became so frustrated with his colleagues, he was frustrated at what they were saying, uh, because they kept on saying, science disproves religion. This is one of the smartest men ever, and understand this, he passed away. Uh, By no means did he ever become a Christian, based on what we know. This is an atheist, just in case you guys think I'm cherry-picking quotes. He says this. He says, we cannot use nature for our moral instruction or for answering any questions within the magisterium of religions. In essence, what he's saying is, he's saying, we cannot use science to disprove religion. We just, we, we can't. He says, to say it to my colleagues for the umpteenth millionth time. He's like, a, like, like an angry parent right now. Like, How many times have I told you? And this is probably like a better accurate number when I was trying to say one trillion, one trillion. Or, for the umpteenth millionth time, science simply cannot adjudicate the issue of God's possible superintendence of nature. We neither affirm nor deny it we simply cannot comment on it as scientists. This is an evolutionary biologist. He's saying this is the best that we can do. He said, I'm not saying that, that God is real. He's saying, but what I'm saying, and what my science, what my research has showed me, that at best, it's no comment. Because it, it, one way or another, it doesn't answer questions, and it does not negate God, because science cannot answer the question of why. Why did this happen? If, if the Big Bang was off by one millionth of a millionth, the whole universe would have collapsed, and, and it could not be. Science can't explain, like, how did, how did that happen? What were the, the odds of this happening? You see, friends, when it comes to faith, when it comes to the Bible, what's interesting is that I find that the Bible actually provides us answers with, to those questions of why and who. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that it says, in the beginning, God created The heavens and the earth. For those who are unfamiliar with the Bible, this is the very first book in the Bible. So these are the very first words we read in Scripture, and I I think it's by no coincidence that when the Bible came came into being, when scriptures came into being, the very first thing that God wanted to get get across was that by definition, He is a creator. He is a creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is interesting. Uh, science, I believe, aims to answer the question of what and how. Like, how do things work? What, what, what happens? How does, how does matter come? In? And answers all of these big questions, but at the end of the day, can't answer why. The Bible, on the other hand, doesn't really care for the question of what and how. And so if you're reading Genesis looking for what and how, you're misreading it. Because the essence of Genesis was never to tell us what God, not to tell us how God created it, it's to tell us who is the creator. He is the creator. When Genesis was written thousands and thousands of years ago, the problem of the time was not atheism. The problem of that time was polytheism, meaning many gods. So when Moses writes these words in Genesis, he needs the Israelites to know that there aren't many gods, there's one God. And so that's the nature of Genesis. It was never about what and how. He wasn't talking about, okay, first God split the atom, and that wasn't the point of writing it. He just wanted the people to know who was the creator, and that's God. God is the one that caused all of this to be, and and that's why I'm saying faith-based religion is not at war with fact-based science, because I actually believe that God has given us science to answer some of those questions of what and how. But science was never there to disprove God. Because what we've seen from these quotes is that it can't and it will not. Can it raise questions? Yes. Concerns, doubts? Yes. But it cannot disprove God. That is what gold is saying here. And it's interesting in Genesis 1.1, what we don't realize, this is actually a scientific principle that we believe the universe is governed by. It's called the law of causality. And just very simple, the simplest definition, it's the principle that states everything has a cause. Everything has a cause. If something came into being, it had to have a cause. Scientists now believe the Big Bang had a beginning. And so if it had a beginning, what that means is it must have a cause. I'll illustrate it like this. Uh, How many of you guys decorated your house for Christmas this year? Anyone? Got the house all festive and whatnot. Uh, Christy and I, we decorated our house. And uh, one night, our house was decorated. And we cleaned it up because we had guests coming over. This is where Christy and I have a philosophical difference I think if people are coming over, keep it dirty, because they're about to mess my house up. But she's like, no, we've got to clean it up. And so we clean the house. I think people are coming over the next day. And uh, we have this ottoman in our living room. It's this black ottoman. And on that ottoman, we put this long red thing. She probably has a name for it. She's not. She's in kids right now. Uh, it's, like a, it's, just, it's like a blanket, kind of, but super, super light. And we put it on there, and it makes us festive. Because we love Christmas. And so the house is all in order. That thing is perfectly on the ottoman. Christy and I, uh, we went out that night. We got back home. And when we got home, that red thing was in the middle of the kitchen on the ground, crumpled up. And so I was like, what the? (laughs) And I looked, and our back door was unlocked. So then I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so I look into the backyard to make sure, like, there was no footprints. The only footprints were rabbits. And I was like, okay, it wasn't rabbits, but I'm still kind of concerned. I was like, did we get broken into? Did someone come into our house? And so naturally I go downstairs to make sure my TV's still there. <laughs> it's priorities, right? I go downstairs and, and, and there's no the TV's still there. Nothing's wrong. And I actually have hockey in about an hour or so, and, and Chris is gonna be home alone. So I have to go through the entire house to make sure there's no robbers. Because I'm a man. Come on, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you got one job, protect the house. And so I looked through the entire house and nothing else was out of order. Nothing else was moved. It was just this this red thing. There there was no windows open. There was no wind. To this day, we have no idea what happened or how it got there. But here's the thing, and this is based on, on science and the law of causality. We could not assume it just got there. It just began to be, that's illogical, right? No matter what happened, we don't know. We'll probably never know until I get to heaven. That's the first question I'm asking. (laughs) We'll never know, but we know that something caused it to happen. Something put it there. And so this is why in scientific circles for the longest time, people actually, uh, they denied the Big Bang as scientists, because they realized if they were to believe in the Big Bang, it actually had, had religious implications. Because if it began to exist, something had to have caused it. That's just the law of causality. Everything has a cause and effect. Friends, what we believe, what I believe, is that God is that cause. God is that reason. And we're going to close now, just to invite the band to come back up. But we believe that God is the reason. The Bible teaches us that God created ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. That is how God created. God is that why. And when it comes to the problem of science, when we really dig into it, we begin to do our research, it's actually not really a problem at all. And the same problems that Christians have, scientists have as well. And understand this, friends, I'm not coming up here speaking to you as a scientist or as someone with a Ph.D. But what I want to do is just simply give us some answers to questions about God. And when it comes to science, the more you look into it, the more you say, I only believe, I only follow the facts. I promise you the facts will lead you to believe that there has to be something more. There has to be something more. We're just getting started in this series, and, and not every single week is going to be just like this week. I did a lot of teaching this week as, as opposed to preaching. But over the next number of weeks, what we want you to see, and for every objection you may have, every reason for not believing, I think that God has given us some sort of a logical argument. He's given us some sort of an answer. He is that why. no matter what you believe, friends, if you're here saying to yourselves, I I still don't believe in God, that's fine. I told you I'm not here to change minds. But I want to ask you something. When you wake up and you know there's something more in life, you know you're not where you want to be, you know that you just don't feel fulfilled, you don't feel like you are where you're supposed to be, ask yourself, where does that feeling come from? Why do I know that I have value? Why do I love people? Why do I feel the way that I feel? Because if we really are just a sea of random chemistry, Not all that makes sense. But I believe that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That we have a creator and the Bible tells us he formed us in our mother's womb. And every intricate piece, of you look up the eye this week, if you want to know about intricacies, look it up. All of these things point back to a creator. And I have a belief that if we have a creator, that automatically gives creation value. Anything that is created has value. And so every single person in this room has value. I don't want anyone in this room, I I think we live in a time where so many people live and they feel like I have no value, I have no worth and I'm not blaming science for that but what I want to say is God puts to bed that myth because if you are created by a creator, that intrinsically gives you value. At Kingdom Church, we believe that you are valued and we believe that you're loved. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you would like to join us in person or have any questions about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca and you will find everything that you need. We'll see you soon.